Well, hi, troops. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that we first aired back on the 17th of December in 2018. I hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Come right on in. You may fill up the back row first over there. Come right in, folks. Right in. Lots of room. Refreshments are over there. What do you got tonight, Chester? Cherry tarts. Very good. And what French vanilla coffee? Well, that sounds good. I don't like my coffee flavor myself, but uh, it sounds good. So help yourself to some cherry tarts and vanilla coffee. French vanilla coffee. Excuse me, Chester. And uh, come on in. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Welcome to the old-time radio podcast, Boomer Boulevard. This is the uh, show where we play old-time radio programs we actually remember from when we were kids because we're baby boomers. But don't let that scare you off. Everybody's welcome, and everybody enjoys the really great classic shows. Most of them came from the 50s and the 60s. Some of them come from, uh, oh, the mid-40s forward. But uh, these are shows that we actually remember hearing when we were kids. Many of them we probably heard on television. But nonetheless, I come to love the original productions on radio much better. We have a great lineup tonight. We have an episode of... Uh, the Adventures of Philip Marlowe, we're going to follow that up with the Jimmy Durante Show. We're going to follow that up with Have Gun, Will Travel, which, by the way, was on television before it was on radio. That's interesting. And then finally, of course, we're going to go to visit Matt Dillon on the streets of uh, Dodge City, Kansas, in an episode of Gunsmoke. So a great lineup tonight. Just come on in and take your seats, and we'll get started in just a moment.
Always nice to start the show off with a little radio noir. To go exploring around the back alleys, the dark crevices and corners of Los Angeles of the 1940s and 50s. And tonight we're going to do that with an episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe that was first broadcast on May the 30th in 1950. The name of the show is Bedside Manners, and I think you'll enjoy it. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Bedside Manners. And hit the street. Get your paper high, uh, Mr. Marlowe. Hiya, Tommy. Paper tonight? Okay, kid. Here you are. Thanks. Take it easy now. Sure. Hey, Mr. Marlowe, you changed. Mr. Marlowe, watch it, then call it out. Hey, go. Holy cats, call an ambulance, somebody. Hang on, Mr. Marlowe. Don't try to move. You're going to be okay. Just take it easy. Well, that's the way it happened. Two weeks ago. When they scraped me up off the pavement, I felt like everything must have been broken. But finally, the doctor boiled it all down to a fractured tibia and assorted bruises. Headed me ten days in the hospital, tangled up with enough pulleys, weights, and trapeze bars to rig a circus tent. After which, I managed to get sprung to the peace and quiet of my own apartment. There, on a special bed in my living room, I spent four days scratching my broken leg through an inch of plastic cast while I worried about the business I was missing. Until finally, Ordine Patterson, a girl with a multi-million dollar estate I'd worked for once, insisted on seeing me immediately about a job, one she was sure I could handle even flat on my back. Phil, it's about my brother, Maynard. Oh, another jam, huh? Yes. Oh, wait a minute, I gotta get comfortable. I, I guess your father knew his son pretty well when he left. Yeah, he well, left all that dough in your hands, Ordine. Yes, only this time, I sincerely believe Maynard's learned this lesson, Phil. He's worried sick. And frankly, so am I. Uh, so am I, if I can straighten this leg out. <clears throat> well, if you think I can help in this condition, it can't be too serious. Well, I... Hey, before you sit down, reach me a cigarette, will you? Yeah, sure. Sure, Phil. Here it is. Oh, thanks. Phil, last Saturday night, Maynard went out on a binge. He got home at 4 o'clock in the morning, awfully intoxicated. Well, it's not unusual for Maynard, is it? No, except this time he was frightened, Phil. Scared stiff. Oh, what about well, that's just the point. We don't know. He was so drunk, he, he couldn't remember anything. Didn't know where he'd been or with whom. Hmm. Oh, Phil, it was, it was terrible. Well, if this was last Saturday, why are you so worried? Anything had happened, surely by now you'd have heard. Yes, but something did happen, Phil. Oh? This morning I got a phone call from a man who meant business, believe me. Mm -hmm. 
I made notes on a memo pad while he talked, so I wouldn't forget any of it. Here, bag here. Here, read it. No. This is fish. Fish? Yes, fish. Tell Maynard 50 G's. Important. Money by tomorrow or trouble. Then he hung up on me, Phil. Fish. Did you or Maynard ever hear of him before? Well, I certainly didn't, and when I asked Maynard, he didn't know him either. Hmm. He had a, oh, a, a cold, heavy voice and spoke with a thick lisp. You want me to peg this fish for you? Yes, so I'll know why Maynard owes that much money. Well, now, look, baby, I'm bedridden. I'm stuck. I can't even I move this I know that. Thing. I know that, Phil, but you have the phone here, a lot of contacts, and plenty of diplomacy. <laughs> If this is something I can get Maynard out of by paying that money, then I'll pay. Okay, baby, I'll try. But look, if it's outside the law, You'll you will know. turn Maynard in. Yes, yes, I'm aware of that. All right, where do I start? Uh, where did he start Saturday? At the Colony Club with a female named Faye Altman. Mm -hmm. Well, whatever happened must have begun there. That's why I thought of you, Phil. You know the Colony Club. Well, I know their scotch is Johnny Walker. Sid Rayfield's the owner, that's all. Well, that may be enough. Will you want to talk to Maynard? Yeah, yeah. Send him over in about an hour, will you? Yes, he'll be here. And that Altman girl's number is Sunset, 0144. 0144. Yes. Okay, Odin, I'll get in. At least my dial finger isn't... Oh, just a minute. Hello? It's, it's Fish, Marlowe. What? Fish. I know my pigeon's with you now. I followed her. Don't clip her wings, pal. Back out now while you still can. I'm warning you. Phil, who... Who was that? You you look upset. Yeah, well, my uh, <coughs> my horse just ran forth. Uh, look, you better run along now, Ordine. Well, okay, Phil. And stay out of dark corners, huh? In spite of my sitting duck position, I told myself that a private detective who listens to warnings today is out of business tomorrow. So I put in a call for Sid Rayfield at the Colony Club. Sid was out, so I left a message for him to get in touch with me. Next, I tried Faye Altman, but the sunset number went unanswered. After that, I started checking for the next best thing to legs I could think of. A guy named Hunger Malloy. By profession, a roving bookie, by appearance, a slouch and threadbare hound's tooth propped against any convenient lamppost. Hunger, by some peculiar instinct, either knew or could find out about anything, especially slightly illegal. And because I'd once pried him out of a tight spot, he loved me like a brother. I finally located him in a pool hall on Melrose and told him what I needed to know. He promised it was as good as done and was off to the colony club and I would hear from him. Well, that left me with nothing to do but scratch my cast again, worry about my gun being in the desk drawer in my office, think about fish, and wait. Things went like that for 45 minutes and then... Come in. Who is it? Who's there? Why, it's me. Hunger. Oh. What's the matter, Philip? You're jumpy. Yeah, I'm real glad to see you, fella. Likewise. How are you feeling under the weather, huh? Yeah. How's it been? No, it's bothering me a little. Look, I brought you some flowers. Oh, Hunger, you shouldn't have. I know. <laughs> I tried to get long stems, but them plants in the park ain't doing so good this year. <laughs> hey, uh, listen... Are you sure you gave me the right dope on the phone, Philip? Sure, sure, I'm sure. Why? What'd you find out? Oh, that's just it. Nothing. I went to the colony club and got talking around, but not one thing worth noticing went on there Saturday night. Well, maybe it started there and moved out, huh? Yeah, I tried that. Some of the customers went out to the valley after to shoot a little dice. 
Another bunch moved down to that big joint on Adams for some poker. That's all. Gambling, huh? Could be a gambling setup. Were they big games? No, just the usual. Nothing extra at all. Oh. And especially, I couldn't pin down a thing on any 50 G's changing hands. Are you positive, Hunger? Well, you don't ask too many questions in that league, Philip, but I'm pretty sure nobody got rich right ahead, you know? Oh. Uh, I got a hint, at least. Yeah, well, look, what about this guy named Fish? Blank. Some new faces in town, but no high rollers answering to Fish. And a background on Faye Altman? Yeah, some. Pick and shovel queen, in a nice way. Uh-huh. Been digging nuggets here and there for a year or so. The uh, latest is the Gill Edge punk you want to know about, Maynard Patterson. Uh-huh. Say, uh, can I have one of these? Yeah, go ahead. Feed your face. Uh, incidentally, uh, they was among those present at the colony Saturday night, if that means something to you. And that's about it, Philip. Okay, Hunger. Thanks a million. I'm sorry I couldn't be more help, but I think you're getting a bum pitch. Oh, well. You're yeah. fi- Visitors. Hey, you got a back way out of here. It won't look so good. Sure, sure. Bedroom, Hunger. You can go out the window and down the fire escape. Hey, wait a minute. Is that a new shirt? No, I come into a bit of clink, so I had it washed. <laughs> I hope you're feeling better, Philip. I'll see yeah, you. Yeah, thanks. Oh, come in. Ordine, <sighs> my sister, said you wanted to see me, Mr. Marlowe. I'm sorry about your leg. I'm sorry about it, too. I can't get comfortable. <laughs> hey, I hear you really tied one on the other night, huh, kid? Yeah, but... But I'm through, Mr. Marlowe, I swear it. Yeah, sure. Sit down. Thanks. What about the gambling? Lose your head over that, too? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I do. As far as my allowance goes, anyway. Now, now look, I want you to tell me all you remember about Saturday night. Well, I I went to the Colony Club with Faye. Uh, That's my girl, Faye Altman. By the way, how do you rate stuff like Faye on your allowance? Huh? Uh, Just a minute. Skip it, skip it. Go ahead. Well, I I was drinking quite a bit, and by one o'clock, I guess I was pretty fuzzy. I lost Faye someplace. Then I went outside for some air, and <laughs> from there on, it's just a blank. Well, now, look, if you didn't pass out cold, you're bound to have some flashes you can remember. I want it all. Well, I do remember a couple of things, Mr. Marlowe. Oh? They're more like a dream than anything else. I seem to remember a big, old-fashioned house. It was dark and gloomy with high ceilings and old, ornate brass chandeliers. I don't know how I got there or what I was doing. Were you but... alone? I don't think so. I've got a man's face in my mind, a flabby guy in a silk shirt. He had big hands, freckles on the, on the backs of him, mm-hmm. with kind of a reddish hair on him. I remember them against something green. Did he lisp? I can't seem to remember. Mm. Just thinking about him gives me the willies, but I, I don't know why. I can't figure out why. I talked to Faye. She waited for me until the colony closed, and then she went home. She was pretty mad about it. You sure that's all you can remember? Yep. Yeah, that's everything. Mm-hmm. Well, does it make any sense at all? Not much. Sounds like you could have been mixed up in a poker game at a green top table in an old dump on Adams. Lost your shirt to a fat guy named Fish. You think that's all there is to it, huh? Well, not quite all. There's the little matter of 50,000 bucks you owe him. 50,000? Look, Mr. Marlowe, if you and Ordine get me out of this mess, I swear I'll straighten up. I'll never get into trouble again, honest. Sonny boy, what you do later is your sister's headache, strictly. I got trouble enough lining things up so you can get off the hook. Now go on home and stay there till I call you. Okay, okay. Mr. Marlowe, I... I know you don't like me, but... Well, thanks anyhow. Fifty thousand bucks. Oh. 
Sunset 0144. Ah. I have to put Cass on so tight. Hello? Faye, my name is Phil Marlowe. I've been trying to reach you for two hours. Well, maybe you need longer arms, Mr. Marlowe. No, just some conversation about Maynard Patterson. I'm in my apartment number 210, Granada Arms on Franklin. Can you come over? Why would I want to talk about Maynard to you in the first place? And why don't you come over here in the second? Well, in the first place, I'm a private detective. In the second, I got a busted leg. How about it? It's important. Well, I've never dated a private detective with a broken leg before. It sounds entrancing. I'm around the corner on Bronson. I'll be right there. Good. I'll... Goodbye, Faye. Come on in. Well, 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 well. Sid Rayfield in person yet? Yeah. The boys at the club told me about your urgent call, Peepers, so I came right out. Well, if I'd known you were coming, I'd have baked the snake, Sid. Skip the cracks. I know what you want. Well, then you're clairvoyant, because I'm not sure myself yet. Try this. You're working for Audine Patterson like you did once before because that punk brother of hers is in a bad jam with one Mr. Fish. Well? Yeah, it's quite neat, quite neat. You happen to know the guy? Yeah, Marlowe, I happen to know the guy. That's why I'm here, to tip you, because you're a friend of mine, uh, more or less. So I say leave it alone, Marlowe. Get out of it, stay out. It's none of your business. You know, you talk like a man with a personal angle. What? Boy, I ought to split your lip for that. I come here to do your turn Take it easy. You... Mind your bedside manners, Sid. I'm an invalid. You'll be worse than that if you don't back out of this. I'm telling you, this guy fish is too hot to handle, Marlowe, and you better... Who's that? How should I know? For a sick room, this joint's becoming more like Hollywood and Vine by the minute. I took a long chance coming here. I gotta get out without being seen. Well, try the bedroom window and fire escape. Everybody else does. Don't let him in till I'm gone. You hear it ain't healthy. Marlowe! Sid! Sid, what is it? Sit! Lousy silencer. Oh. oh, this stinking leg. Nice going, Mr. Fish. I suppose that makes me... Mr. Marlowe, Mr. Marlowe, it's Mitzi from the restaurant. Are you all right, Mr. Uh, Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, Mitzi, I... I'm okay, I'm fine. Well, I I thought you was talking to somebody. Uh, no, no, I was reading. I, I, I didn't hear the buzzer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, Sometimes I get real carried away myself. That's fine. Look, I fixed up your dinner. Everything just like you ordered. Here, I'll drag the... Uh, no, Mitzi, over. I don't think I'll eat right now. Just put the tray down and beat it, huh? Like a good girl? Yeah, but what about the dishes? Uh, get them in the morning. Will you get out of here? Will you go on? Oh, gee, we're okay. Good night, Mr. Marlowe. Okay, Fish, the girl's gone. Well, come on in. Did you hear me? I said come on in. I guess I'm as ready as I'll ever be. Man is never ready to die, really. Sometimes saying you are helps. Sometimes, like when you're flat on your back waiting for a killer with a silencer might step into view through your bedroom door. I kept on waiting for 60 seconds, each as long as a fall down an empty well. Once I thought I heard the window close. At least another five minutes went by. Then I actually began to believe that for some reason Fish had gone away. Well, that made the scoreboard real easy to read. Sid Rayfield, a guy who knew his way around, had been killed. I hadn't been able to do a thing about it. It was time for a call to homicide. But even as I reached for the phone, it went off. 
Hello. I said hello. This is your last warning, Marlowe. Oh, you got to a phone fast, Buster. What's on your slippery mind, fish? Something you'd be smart to pay attention to. You see, Molly, you're only still alive because it's convenient to me. Too bad you didn't feel that way about Sid Rayfield. Rayfield got what he reserved. And so will you. Like I said, you're only still alive because it's convenient to me. You happen to be working for the lady who holds the purse strings. Go on. Therefore, there's very little more, Marlowe, except this. Maynard Patterson's a lousy poker player. On Saturday night, he dropped 50000 to me. 50000 in two markets, Marlowe. One for 2000 the other for 48 I want both paid promptly, you understand? Not quite. Maynard Patterson doesn't remember what happened Saturday night. So? So maybe you know all about it and you're making this up as you go along. <laughs> no, Marlowe, that's not the case. And if you drag yourself to the windowsill in your bedroom, you'll find all the proof you need. What do you mean? That I left one of the markers there, in a white envelope. The one for 2000 and it's in the poor little rich boy's own handwriting. I left it there so you'd know I'm not kidding about the 48 grand. I'll be in touch. So long, Marlow. Why, you all a lousy double cro... Come in! Sure. Why not? How could a girl ever resist the welcome in your voice? I'm Faye Altman, private detective. That figures. Ah, what happened to you? Fall out of a transom or trip over a clue? Which? Neither. It was a wisecrack, honey. I laughed so hard I fell down and broke my leg. <laughs> Let's get down to business, huh? Yeah. For a starter, Faye, what's your connection with Maynard Patterson? How tight is the knot? Huh? What was that again? I said you and Maynard. Just how chummy are you two? I thought I heard you right. You know, private detective, I don't like being pushed around. Faye, there's a dead man in is... the bedroom. A dead man? Did you say a dead man? Sid Rayfield. He was murdered, Faye. Oh, no! Oh, not Sid. Gee, he was a nice guy, Marlowe. Sharp, but, but nice. Faye, I want you to go in there and look for an envelope on the windowsill. An envelope? No, I, I don't think I want It's wanna... important, Faye. I can't get out of this bed. Now, go on. It may help us tag Sid's killer. But... Oh, all right. I'll get it. You, you say it's near the window... Oh! Keep going, Kay. At the windowsill. Do you see it? Yeah, I've got it. Here. Yeah. Hey, the window's broken in there. Do you know it? Yeah, yeah. Now, Faye, my question about you and Maynard, somehow or other, it may count. Are you in love with him? No. I mean, I like him all right. He's a good time, nice places, nice people, nice little presents, but... but... no yachts. No, that's right. No yachts. And I like yachts, private detective. They beat rowing around in MacArthur Park. I know. I've tried them both. Anything else? Yeah, turn it around. How does he feel about you? Overboard, I guess. Look... You said that this might help catch Sid's killer. I like Sid, so I'd like to see that happen. But make this question a good one, because it's your last. Fair enough. Maynard loves you, you love money. Maynard didn't have any. Now the question. Did he have any plan to change all that? Just one. He was saving up every cent he could squeeze out of that stingy sister of his for a stake in a big card game. He was going to run it into big dough. Any help, private detective? Yeah, if you call checking other people's stories out, I help. Which translates into what? Maynard did just that. Only he lost it all Saturday night. Lost his stake and 50,000 bucks more. What? He owes that much dough? Yeah, yeah. Now tell me, have you heard from Maynard since? You had your last question, Private Detective, remember? Good night, Marlowe. It's been a big, fat pleasure. I'll bet. Anyhow, Faye, my best to the fish. Your very best to the fish? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. What fish? Never mind. Goodbye, baby, and don't slam the, the door.
When the lady was gone, it was time to call the police. But I was dying hard, and even as I dialed the number, I turned the envelope that had been left on the windowsill over in one hand. The envelope was the cheap kind you'd find in any dime store with nothing written on it. And the note itself, which read, I owe the bearer 2,000 bucks payable within 24 hours, was signed Maynard Patterson and dated Saturday. It was on a square piece of memo paper, and it it made me think about a little item which for quite a while had been sitting last row, last seat in the back of my mind. Hello. Trying real hard to be star pupil. Now, Marlowe, the fishing may be great. Oh, this leg. Come on, baby, be home. Hello? This is Marlowe, Ordeen. Oh, Phil, what have you found out? I'm not sure, but among other things, I may have caught a killer. Now, listen. Do you still have that note? You know, the one you brought over here, the memo you made after fish call. Have you got it? Uh, yes, it's in my handbag. But Never mind still... the question. Just get it, will you? All right. I'll only be a moment. I'll hang on. You better just hang up, Marlowe. I uh, wasn't expecting you just yet, Maynard. No. Nor this gun, I'm sure. Hang up on it. It'll only make a call back, you know. Yeah. And won't my dear sister be exasperated when she keeps getting a busy signal? No matter how long she dials, only a busy signal. The pronunciation is signal, Maynard. Huh? Or do I call you fish and don't look so surprised your act stank? People who can't pronounce the letter S avoid it instead of going out of their way to use it as in Perth Twing. My mistake, Marlowe. Yeah, among a lot of others. You never should have been careless about the kind of paper you wrote the IOU on. Your sister, who you're trying to swindle, came in here earlier with the same juttings on a piece of paper that's got the same top edge. Irregular. Because yeah, no doubt... Yeah, I know, I know. Because it was ripped off the same telephone pad. And I wouldn't have used that paper since IOUs are customarily written during or immediately after a card game. And I couldn't have been at home at the time of the game. All right, stop it, Marlo. There's no need for any more hypotheses. No, you can fill in all the blanks, can't you? Step by step, a rotten, tailor-made scheme to get your sister to save you by paying 50,000 bucks to a gambler named Fish who doesn't exist. I said stop it. Slimy setup that began with a fake one-night stand of bottle and bond amnesia. Moved on to an also-fake telephone call to Ordeen from a heavy named Fish. A man with a lift. Shut up, Marlo. And the payoff, the confession call to me. Also, Oh! Yes, Mr. Marlo, everything you say is so. But I'm still not beaten, and I won't be. You're the only one who knows all this. And even as Fish killed Sid Rayfield, Fish is going to kill you. Fish, Marlowe, not me. Fish, the ruthless gambler who never will be caught, but who my sister will pay, nevertheless. Is that clear, Marlowe? Not quite. Why did you kill Rayfield? He had me convinced that Fish actually existed. Which is the reason he died. He was playing my game, Marlowe, but not for me. Somehow or other, he found out what I was doing. Maybe because he always checked carefully when anybody got too interested in Faye Altman. And he decided to help things along, then cut himself in. Well, you know the answer to that. Now, if you don't mind, turn on the radio, Marlo. Why? Silence it doesn't Turn it on. <clears throat> Louder. I wouldn't want anything to go wrong now, Marlo. I've been so lucky. Lucky that I got away from my sister and was free to watch this building, this apartment. Lucky so that I could see who came and who went and act accordingly. Yeah, I've been lucky, all right. You do grant me that, don't you, Marlo? Yeah, sure. You've been lucky. Yeah, you've been real lucky, Patterson, up to now. But you know how it is with luck, kid? One minute you have it, the next minute it runs out. Look, do you mind if I turn this off? It's putting me to sleep. (laughs) You are brave, aren't you, Marlo? No, 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 just lucky. Uh, Lucky that someone's standing behind you. Who? The mounted police? No, 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 just a guy. A guy named 
Hunger Malloy. It's a funny kind of a guy, man. He, he was here earlier at night, and he ducked out by way of the bedroom. At least, I thought he ducked out. Oh, quit it, Marlowe. Huh? Now, don't budge an inch. I'm not going to turn around and give you the chance to go for that gun, which is probably under your pillow. Oh, no. Oh, but, Manny, you should do something. You're about to be hitting a noggin. Honest, man, it with a vase. That, Marlowe, I'll believe when it ha- <laughs> He just wouldn't take your word, would he, Philip? <laughs> well, that's the way it goes. I'll see you... Now, wait a minute, Hunger. Come back here. Uh, I can't, pal. You got a corpse in there. That means cops. Them and me don't mix. Don't worry about it. Just tell me before I bust. You started for the way window 20 minutes ago. What happened? Uh, well, Philip, I... What happened, Hunger? I got delayed. Oh. After that, stuff was popping. This, this louse was in there, then the corpse delecti, and then the louse again at the window, leaving an envelope, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but the delay, Hunger. Before company started coming, what was it? Well? Uh, the... The truth, Philip? Yeah, try it, try it. It may not hurt at all. Okay. Uh, they was on your dresser. The jazziest pair of pearl cufflinks, Philip, I seen since I used to deal in Vegas. <laughs> I, uh, I was uh, attracted. Ah, <laughs> uh, Hungers, the last favor to a guy you've already done a big favor for. Take them. The cufflinks. Go ahead, kid. All right, Philip. As long as you put it so nice, I will. Now, uh, like I was saying... Night, Wait a minute, Hunger. The cufflinks. Take them with you now. Of course. That's exactly what I'm doing, Philip. <laughs> See you around. Funny little guy. Funny name. Hunger Malloy. You know, it's a strange thing. But a broken leg makes the old wheels go round. Well, that figures. Makes you think about breaks. And that brings me back to Hunger Malloy again. The only break he ever got was in his skull. Somebody once said we make our own breaks. I don't know about that. I didn't break my leg. Or maybe I did. Did I really look where I was going? And Maynard Patterson. Look at all the breaks he had. Loads of dough. Still, he didn't know where he was going either. And Sid Rayfield. I wonder if when the slug hit him, he thought, what a lousy break. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in our cast were Ann Stone, David Ellis, Vivi Janis, Wilms Herbert, Paul Dubov, and Frank Gerstel. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. <laughs> Be sure to be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time it was strictly out of whack. From a perfect hostess, who was rude to her guests, past a big red fence that ran all the way from L.A. to Palm Springs, 
to a second-story man stabbed to death in a basement apartment. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. The name of that episode was Bedside Manners. It was first broadcast in May of 1950. Chandler, Raymond Chandler, was, of course, the author of Philip Marlowe. Philip Marlowe was introduced to mystery fans as the hard-boiled detective in Chandler's first novel, The Big Sleep, and that one came out in 1939. And Philip Marlowe would go on to become one of the most popular sleuths in the history of crime-fighting fiction. The success of Marlowe was seen in subsequent novels that soon spread into other mass media, such as the classic 1944 film entitled Murder, My Sweet, which was adapted from Chandler's Farewell, My Lovely, And that one starred Dick Powell as Philip Marlowe. This was not considered a real prestige show when it came out. But because it had the advantage of having such great writers and uh, the producer-director like Norm MacDonald and the music, all of it added up to just a one-class-A show. And as always, we'll have more Philip Marlowe in the weeks ahead. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation. No complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Well, for our comedy corner this week, we're going to play a show we have never played before on Boomer Boulevard, and that's the Jimmy Durante Show. Now, what Boomer doesn't remember Jimmy Durante? Now, agreed, he was of our parents' generation, but when we were kids, he was still a big influence. I can remember seeing him on all kinds of television shows and uh, listening to his music uh, on the radio in the car when my parents were driving. And he was a really funny guy. And of course, tonight his guest star is another iconic uh, comedic talent from that era, Lucille Ball. So here we go. We're going back to October 29th, 1947 for this episode of The Jimmy Durante Show. From Hollywood, The Jimmy Durante Show. Ink, a dink a dee, a dink a doo, a dink a dee. Oh, what a tune! Yes, it's the Jimmy Durante Show with Arthur Treacher, Candy Candido, Roy Bargy and his orchestra, our Rexall sportscaster, Tommy Harmon, yours truly, Howard Petrie, and our special guest tonight, Lucille Ball, brought to you by 10,000 Rexall drugstores who carry the complete line of top-quality Rexall drug products. 
And here he is, not a transcription, not a wax reproduction, but the one and only Jimmy Durante in person. You've got to start off each day with a song. Now, even when things go wrong, you feel better, you even look better. Stop the music, stop the music. And now as a tribute to our musical orchestra, I'd like to introduce the most important members. First flutist, Joe Petrillo. First clarinetist, Tommy Petrillo. First trombone, Peter Petrillo. <laughs> I'll bet this is one band that will be making records next year. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're under no obligation to laugh. However, if you don't, we have a brand new audience warming up in the basement. <laughs> I'm only kidding, folks. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, Schnoz, I see you're sharp as a tack again tonight. Just as you were on the Information Please program the other night. Jimmy, was I impressed. You're not the only one, Howard. Boy, did I amaze Fatterman and the rest of those experts. Uh, Why, the minute I walked in the door, I won a set of Encyclopedia Britannicas. You did? Yeah, they couldn't guess what I was. <laughs> But, Howard, if you think those exploits were confusing, just listen to this question they gave me. If a projectile traveling at supersonic speed through the stratosphere reached its destination in seven seconds, how long would it take a woodpecker with chapped lips to remove the pimento from a stubborn olive? <laughs> hey, that's some um, question. Who sent that in? J.C. Coots from Raccoon Tail, Nebraska. And I'll bet $50 there ain't a guy in the world that can answer it. I can! The answer is two minutes, 35 and two-thirds seconds. That's the right answer. What's your name? J.C. Coots, Raccoon Tail, Nebraska. <laughs> Trapped again, me and my big mount. I'd get rid of it, only it's such a handy place to keep my teeth. <laughs> Come in. Mr. Durante... The British Embassy has requested me to instruct you concerning protocol at the wedding of Princess Elizabeth. You are attending, aren't you? Yes, if the cleaners return my knickers in time. <laughs> Very well, then. Here's the procedure you are to follow. During the ceremony, you are to stand two paces to the left of the Duke of Gloucester, provided Lady Ashley does not attend. In which event, you curtsy to the Marchioness of Sussex, bow to the Duke of Essex, kiss the hand of the Countess of Middlesex, and retreat two paces to the left of Lord Lonsbury of Worcestershire. Unless Lady Stanhope is standing beside Lord Denning, in which case you recognize rank and fall back four paces to the rear of the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Are there any questions? Yes, one question. If I bring hard-boiled eggs in my lunchbox, will Britain supply the salt? <laughs> I bid you good day, sir. Good day, sir. Good Jimmy, day. Jimmy, are you serious about going to the wedding of Elizabeth and Philip? Are you Josh and Howard? Why, I've already sent the wedding gift. It's a dozen towel marked His Highness, Her Highness, and RDB. RDB? What does that mean? Rub, don't blot. <laughs> I also sent the prince a personal gift for foggy days. A monocle with a windshield wiper on it. <laughs> but that is neither fish nor chips. Howard, I'm expecting Lucille Ball at our house for dinner. We're planning to do a movie together. I've always wanted to work with a glamour girl. Glamour girl, glamour girl. Did somebody say glamour girl? <laughs> Man the lifeboats, men. We've struck a typhoon. 
Granny, do forgive me for intruding. I'm Lucia Ball's understudy, and she sent me over to rehearse. After all, anything you were going to do with her, you can do with me. I know Truman wants us to get along with less, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> oh, Miss Granny, you're so witty. Now, now, before we start the rehearsal, I should like to test the microphone. Please do, please do. La, 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 la! Well, you just blew Tehachapi off the network. Would you like to try for Pismo Beach? Oh, Mr. Durante, you mad wag, you. Now, come on, let's rehearse this scene from the script Lucille has in mind. Oh, this is a wonderful part for you. It gives you a chance to run the gamut of emotions. A big part for me, huh? Uh -huh. All right, let's try it. Oh, Eustace. So you've come back to me after all the weary months and years of waiting. Oh, you don't know. You don't know how I've missed you, how I've needed you, how I've wanted you. Are you all right, Eustace? Are you, darling? Are you? Well, I... No, no, don't speak. <laughs> Just let me look at you. Ah, oh, Eustace. Did you give me any thought when you were away on your long journeys? Did you miss me? Did you? Did you? Well, I... No, 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 no. <laughs> See it in your eyes. Great part I got here. I hope I can remember it. <laughs> no! Never get a thought to me! Oh, you're not gonna beach the monster. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Oh, darling, I didn't mean that. I can bite my tongue for saying that. Bite your tongue, you'll have to catch it first. <laughs> oh, darling, kiss me. Kiss me. Oh, it's been so long since I've had a chance to go out and have a fling. Sorry, I'm busy now. Fling it somewhere else. <laughs> Besides, I'm already betrothed, which sometimes leads to marriage. Let me tell you about it. Folks, I'm gonna tell you about my gal that I lost. Folks, I'm gonna find her and no matter the cost. At times I think this little girl is out of this world, which makes my search for her a little inconvenient. But I'll tell you just what I'm gonna do. A description of her I'll give to you. She's a little bit this and a little bit that and a little bit tin and a little bit fat. So send my baby back to me. She's a little bit blonde, a little brunette, a little bit rich, a little bit in debt. And that describes her to a T. What a gal. She's got a little nose that turns up. My nose turns down. And every time we kiss, we lock bumpers. <laughs> She's a little bit this, a little bit that, and a little bit high, and a little bit fat. So bring my baby back to me. You know, the other day I threw a big party to announce our engagement. The big event of the party was the game I introduced, a scavenger hunt. Everybody had to go out and bring back the strangest, most broken down thing you could find. And it's the last time I'll ever play that game. They brought me back three times before they found out I was the host. <laughs> It's a good thing my girl identified me. I'm so devoted to her. I like her too. I love her limpid blonde eyes and the one that is blue. Yes, she's a little bit strong, a little bit frail. I've given you every little detail, so bring back my baby to me. Sure that the product is pure when you ask for a drug preparation. Buy the Rexall line at the Rexall sign of Rexall identification. Good health to all from Rexall. As you know, ladies and gentlemen, 
Jimmy Durante has invited Lucille Ball to his house for dinner to discuss her new picture, in which Durante plans to play the part of her lover. Her lover. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? As we look in on him now, he is making frenzied preparations for her arrival, aided and abetted, of course, by Treacher. Treacher, let's get ready for our guests. This joint needs organizing. Don't you think this house needs a thorough cleaning? Cleaning is hardly the word. While dusting this morning, I discovered another room. <laughs> How nice. I'll convert it into a nursery. My police dog is expecting rookies. <laughs> but this is no time for trivialities, Treacher. Miss Ball. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, boy, come on. Let me go back to that, I will, please. I, like I think I can do a little better. Right. But this is no time for trivialities, Treacher. No, no, no. Miss Ball will be here any minute. Lay out my dinner jacket, my cutaway vest, and reverse my celluloid collar. Yes, sir. And Treacher, when you serve dinner tonight, I want you to look sartorially correct. I'm expecting you to wear a dress shirt. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but you're wearing it tonight. However, don't concern yourself. I can always whitewash my chest. Whitewash your chest? <laughs> what will you do for shirt studs? Well, I happen to have three very convenient moles. <laughs> ah, Treacher, you're a genius. Remind me to reward you with a soggy Tootsie Roll. How provincial. May I ask, what is the purpose of Miss Ball's visit here tonight? Since I have the next line, I'll answer that question. <laughs> Miss Ball wants us to discuss her scenario. She's looking for a handsome and talented leading man. Oh, how nice of you to have thought of me. Wait a minute. What makes you think Lucille Ball would prefer you to me? Well, can I help it if I'm the sophisticated type? Women like a man who has lived. I've lived? I mean recently. <laughs> Besides, you know, to intrigue a woman of Miss Ball's caliber... One must not only be handsome and talented, but also well-dressed, suave, and debonair. Well, I'm well-dressed, suave, and debonair, ain't I? Ho, ho, ho. You have had your answer. <laughs> Boy, that's gratitude for you, folks. And to think I let the hem down on all my nightgowns so they would fit him. <laughs> but Treacher... All right, what do you want for dinner? Watch this. It's a cook I hired for the occasion. For a minute, I thought it was Sadie Hawkins' day and somebody sent us a hawk. <laughs> Never mind the smart cracks, hose nose. How do you want your dinner, boiled or fried? What have you got for dinner? Nothing. Burlish. <laughs> Treacher, I guess we'll be here any minute and you mean to say there's nothing for dinner? What about that plum duff we had yesterday? Isn't there any left? No, but I could serve some plain duff. What's plain duff? Plain duff is plum duff after you've taken the plum out of the duff and all that's left is the stuff. <laughs> Put blues on the end of that and you got a hit song. <laughs> that must be Lucille Ball now. Quick, creature, where's my perfume? Yeah, that's it. Now squirt some on my hair, in my eyebrows, behind my ears, under my nose. That's it. I've laid a perfect trail to my lips. Open the door, Treacher. Uh, wait till Lucille Ball gets a whiff to this. Is somebody cooking cabbage? <laughs> <laughs> Lucille Ball! In person. I'm overwhelmed, Lucille. The exuberance of this unctuous occasion and the mere quintessence of your celestial radiance premeditates my bountiful soul 
with palpitation of grandiosius jocanunity. <laughs> Jimmy, if you think that over, I'm sure you'll take it back. Take it back? Nothing. I had a hard enough time getting rid of it. <laughs> well, don't let me excite you, Jimmy. I'm just like any other blonde. What do you mean, blonde? Your hair is red. Red? Please, Jimmy. In Hollywood, we don't say that word. <laughs> but step inside the rotunda, Lucille. You've never seen my house before. Oh, I think it's terrific, Jimmy. And you've already decorated for Halloween. Oh, I love that pumpkin head in the corner with a silly grin. Please, that's my Uncle Louie looking at the pictures in Esquire. <laughs> well, you do have a swell place here, Jimmy. It's so homey. Oh, that's a lovely motto hanging over the dresser. Did you write it? Of course, and I crocheted it too. <laughs> but my pointed nose, I only needed one needle. Oh, what poetry. So sentimental. It takes a heap of living to make a house a home. It's a haven to return to wherever you may roam. It's a place of lasting beauty. Be you king or be you slave. So whenever you want comfort... Oh, Jimmy, I can't. Go on, read it. Scrape your pan with Burma shade. <laughs> you know, Lucille, I don't deserve all the glory for that poem. Longfellow pitched in on the last line. Well, Jimmy, as long as we're comfortable here, maybe we can start talking about the picture we're going to make together. Marvelous. Why don't, why don't we do something like your last picture, Her Husband's Affairs? I can just see myself in one of those political pictures. Being elected president and moving into the White House in Los Angeles. Oh, Jimmy. The White House is 2,000 miles away. You don't know federal law. You don't know the Los Angeles city limits. <laughs> this town is so spread out, Beverly Hills is now a town in Iowa. Jimmy, I'd like to do a part in a picture that's a little different. You know, a character part. Ah, Lucille, that's what I like about you. You're so versatile. No, oh, thank you, James. It's people like you that make people like me realize that we should carry the art of Sarah Bernhardt to all the people of the universe and to people wherever there are people. <laughs> Folks, you have just heard we the people. <laughs> Listen, don't tell me you're from Brooklyn. Of course not, stupid. I'm from the Bronx. And they loved me there. Yeah, when the fella saw me in her husband's affairs with Francho Tone, they awarded me a very great honor. A great honor? Yes. They voted me Miss Other End of the Davenport for 1947. <laughs> <laughs> and Jimmy, you know, my family was very refined. I come from a long line of Murphy's, Kelly's, and O'Toole's. But my mother married a mulligan. But mulligan is an Irish stew. Well, she knew that, but she married him anyway. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lucille, you really got it on the ball. <laughs> well, I, uh, I say hello. May I join you? Everybody wants to get into the act. How are you, Mr. Treacher? Splendid, Miss Ball. By the way, have you seen our library yet? Oh, yes, and I'm dying to read The Fall and Decline of the Grecian Satellites by Gulimio Roble. I read but a Ms. lot. Miss Ball, my... my favorites are Aristotle's soliloquies and Spinoza's spheric dialectics. I spend oh, the but time the in the best I ever read were The Anatomy of Melancholia and Anecdotes of an Antiquated Octogenarian. Did anyone see what Dick Tracy did to Mumbles today? <laughs> well, well 
dinner will be ready in a moment. Take my arm, Lucille, before dinner. I've got a little surprise for you in the music room. Wonderful, Jimmy. You know, our singer Peggy Lee has been on the sick list, and Jack Benny loaned me a sportsman quartet to fill in tonight. Are you there, fellas? <laughs> Sounds like the mating call of a contented cow. Gee, it was generous of Jack Benny to loan you his quartet. Hello? Stop pounding me, Jack. The check is in the mail. <laughs> carry on, sportsman. Carry on. Far below the Mexican border, where the senoritas go beneath the moon, I think there's a bold and dashing vaquero, and every night you'll hear him croon. I think in my adobe hacienda, there's a touch of Mexico. I think cactus lovelier than orchids blooming in the patio. I think soft desert stars and this drum of guitars make every evening seem so sweet. I think in my adobe hacienda, life and love are more complete. More complete. Think so. See, I think. In my there's a touch of Mexico. Soft desert stars and the strum of guitars Make every evening seem so sweet I think In my adobe haciendita Life and love are more complete I want to go back to my little adobe shack In Mexico City I think Cause that's where life and love are more complete It's sweet and very neat It's quite a treat so I repeat Life and love are more complete Pardon us for singing in your faces I think We think Lucille, during dinner I thought the whole thing over and I think we ought to make a romantic love story where I play your lover. <clears throat> How do you feel about me making love to you? I'm feeling mighty low. <laughs> Poor darling, she's choked up with emotion. <laughs> you know, Jimmy, I think we should do a psychological murder mystery. I'd rather be the frustrated heroine and you can be a hard-boiled detective from homicide. This is stupendous. Why, I'll be another Mark Heckinger. That's Hellinger. We're on the air. <laughs> I'm coming a little late on that line. <laughs> we must be careful, you know, because many of our listeners are bookies. Go ahead, Lucille. <laughs> you start the story with one of those dramatic narrations. Okay, here goes. Yes, I killed my husband. I killed him because I needed money. Lots of money. I needed a million dollars. You see, I wanted to buy a Cadillac from Honest John. 
But there was a detective, a cold-blooded detective who preyed on my conscience like the plague. Everywhere I turned, his voice rang in my ears. This is the voice of your conscience. Go away. I don't speak to strangers. You can't escape me. You murdered your husband. You murdered your husband. You murdered your husband. There's no laugh there, folks, but it helps you follow the story. His nagging voice was with me constantly. I was afraid of him because he was clever. Besides being a detective, he wrote mystery novels. Yes, another Edgar Allan Schmo. <laughs> but that first day he came on the case. I saw him coming down the street and his friends called to him. Hiya, Jimmy. Hello, Jimmy. Hi there, Jimmy. What's new, Jimmy? Hey, look, it's Jimmy. Yes, his name was Charlie. <laughs> when he knocked on the when he knocked on the door, I walked from the fourth floor of my mansion down to the front door. Long legs. <laughs> then I opened the door, and there he was. Okay, sister. I'm from the law firm of Zombie, Zombie, and Crawl. Zombie, Zombie, and Crawl? Yes, after two zombies, you gotta crawl. <laughs> now look, baby, I know you murdered your husband, and I'm gonna prove it. What's in that room there? Oh, please don't go in there. It's only my poor old invalid grandmother. I'll take a look anyway. Pardon me, my dear lady. I can tell by looking at your sweet old face that you had nothing to do with the murder. But I gotta hear it from your own tender lips. Ah, drop dead! <laughs> poor darling. She was getting a broom ready for Halloween. <laughs> but there's something suspicious about this case. When we examined the corpse, we found 32 bullet holes in his body, but not one bullet hole in his clothes. How do you account for that? Must have been an inside job. <laughs> a logical deduction. But who is this low character coming over here? Oh, that's my butler. Uh, this is Detective Durante. How do you do? <laughs> I haven't heard a laugh like that since I lost my halter at the YMCA. <laughs> What's your name, butler? My name is Lester Chester Sylvester Hettlesta Vester. Lester Chester Sylvester Van Nessel Hester Fester Hester Sylvester? You know, folks, we have the wealthiest writers in radio. They get paid by the word. <laughs> Now, you stick around, Lester Chester. I gotta find some clues. Oh, I can't stand it any longer. I did it. I shot my husband, stabbed him, and strangled him, and hit him over the head with a club. And I admit it. Words, words. I'm looking for clues. Stop, stop! Detective Durrani. I won't let her take the blame. I murdered him. Oh, it's my secret lover, Candido. And when you see him, you can see why I'm keeping him secret. Be careful. Be careful, he's a gangster and a cutthroat. I got my gun on me. Tell me, Candida, how did you become a hoodlum? Well, I started in high society, drifted to the middle classes, and wound up down here in the underworld. <laughs> so you confess that you're the murderer, huh? Well, we were all in it together. The wife, the butler, and me. Come on, Lester Chester, let's run for it. Come back here, or I'll shoot. <laughs> how do you like that? I shot all three of them. The sound man must use carbon paper. <laughs> what do you know? I'm in heaven. 
What do you know? I'm in heaven, too. What do you know? Low man again. <laughs> Friends, here are those foremost Rexall reminders for the week. Remember, 25% of America buys its drug needs in Rexall drugstores. Remember, Rexall is that large and respected family of more than 2,000 different drug products. Remember, you can always depend on any drug product bearing the name Rexall. Remember, Rexall drug products are available in Rexall drugstores everywhere. To shame, Howard, and I'd like to add, I do my shopping at a Rexall store, buying Rexall drugs, and furthermore, hombre, I'll go, he prefers them to, we buy Rexall, that's all. How do you do? In just a moment, we'll switch to Chicago to hear a Rexall sportscast with Tommy Harmon. Meanwhile, from this end, we'll say Rexall for tonight from Arthur Treacher, Roy Bargy, yours truly, Howard Petrie, and Jimmy Durante, who says thanks to Miss Lucille Ball. You were very sweet to visit us, and next week's folks, our good friend Bing Crosby will be with us on our Rexall show at the same time, same station. Good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are. This program was produced and directed by Phil Cohan. That was the Jimmy Durante Show. It was originally broadcast on NBC back on the 29th of October in 1947. Boy, he was a character. The great schnoz. Remember that big nose? He, he was, I said he was of our parents' generation. Actually, he was of our grandparents' generation. Uh, my grandfather, I, re- I know, was born in 1892. Jimmy Durante was born just a year later in 1893. He was born on the Lower East Side of New York City. He dropped out of school in the seventh grade to become a ragtime pianist. By the 1920s, he had become a vaudeville star and also started into radio and became a radio personality. By the 1930s, he was so popular, he was alternating his, his life between uh, Hollywood to make movies and on the Broadway stage. In um, 1943, Durante teamed with Gary Moore, a very young Gary Moore for the uh, for the uh, Durante Moore Show, and the chemistry between those two was so popular between the older Jimmy and the younger Gary that it just captured the hearts of, of a large, large American audience. It was during that show that uh, Durante developed the catchphrase. That's my boy that said that. Remember that? That was sort of enshrined later in the cartoon characters, Augie Doggy and Doggy Daddy. Oh, my. Moore left uh, the duo in the middle of 1947, and when the show returned the following fall, it was just the Jimmy Durante show, and it continued for three more years. He lived to be, um, well, I tell you, we lost Jimmy to pneumonia. And that was in Santa Monica, California, on January 29th, 1980. It was just 12 days before he would have turned 87. What a personality, Jimmy Durante. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by 
And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. I'm that you can rely. No matter what the future brings, as time goes by. Moonlight and love songs never out of date. Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate. Woman needs man, and man must have his mate that no one can deny. It's still the same old story, a fight for love and glory. A case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by. Always welcome lovers as time goes by. Next up tonight is an episode of Have Gun Will Travel. This one was originally broadcast in November of 1960 and it's entitled The Map. It's a good one. And here it comes. I memorized the map and destroyed it. If you kill me, you'll never find the money. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel, headquarters of a man called Paladin. Uh. Mr. Paladin! Mr. Paladin! Open door! All right, all right. Yes, yes, yes. What, what's all the excitement here, boy? Oh, Mr. Paladin, you in trouble with army? In, 
Trouble with the army? Why, no. Oh, that's a good. Why do you ask? Well, hey, boy, here, army colonel asked for you downstairs. And hey, boy, thought maybe uh, you in trouble. I'll give you a chance to get away. Oh, too late. Huh? That's Potter, Colonel Potter. <laughs> well, Potter, what are you doing Good to here? see you. Last I heard of you, you were on the trail of those payroll bandits. What are you doing now? Well, I'm still on their trail. That's oh. why I've come to you. Three years and you still haven't caught them, huh? Well, come on in. Come on in. Thanks. I'll talk to you later, hey, boy. Oh, you so. Well, sit down, John. Uh, Got a cigar? Oh, thank you. Uh, here. Well, you, uh, you seem to have done all right, Paladin. Oh, I, I try. I just hope you're not so well off you can't use $500. I can always use $500, John. You want me to join the search, huh? We're getting close to him, Paladin. With your help, I think we can get him. How close are you? How much do you remember of the case? Well, let me think. It was a payroll for Fort Anderson... Two men made off with the money, and they took, uh, how much was it, $80,000? 90000 90. And uh, there were three men in on it. Three? That's right. We discovered there was an army man involved. He did all the inside work. Didn't take us long to find him. A private by the name of Jim Griffin. We've been hauling him in the prison at the Presidio. Money's not doing him much good, is it? No, no, but he never got his hands on it anyway. What makes you think so? This. Hmm? What's that? We found it in his personal effects. It's a piece of a map. It indicates the position of the payroll money. And you think they buried it? Yes, yes. Jim Griffin's been in the hospital at the prison for the last six months. Part of that time, he's been delirious. We've heard him mumbling about the map, and from what we can gather, he and the other two men made a pact to have somebody bury the money and draw up a map, and apparently they divided the map into three pieces. Who buried the money? Well, we don't know, but whoever it was, they killed him. Oh. We learned that much from Griffin. He's also been talking about meeting the others on December 12th, or it'll be too late. I see. Now, where do I fit in with your plans? Well, Jim Griffin died this morning. Oh? We want you to be Jim Griffin. What are you talking about, John? Here. Take a look at this tin type. Let's see. It's a picture of Griffin taken several years ago. This? Mm-hmm. This is Griffin? <laughs> you look enough like him to be his twin, Paladin. <laughs> I see. Will you do it? Mm, well, I don't know, John. Uh, this map gives no location. Uh, I wouldn't know where to start. Oh, we can help you there. Griffin has a girlfriend who's come to visit him three or four times. She probably knows where the meeting place is. And if she doesn't? Maybe the other two men will come looking for you. Like I said, there's uh, $500 reward, providing, of course, that you get the proof on the other man and get the money back. How do you want the money stacked, John? <laughs> Then you'll do it. I'll do it. Colonel Potter, shake hands with Jim Griffin. Three days later, I had become Jim Griffin. Colonel Potter gave me as much information as they had of the man's background, and I was dishonorably discharged from the Army. 
I even said goodbye to Griffin's old cellmates, and to a man they accepted me. But the real test was to come with Anna Baker, Griffin's girlfriend. The colonel's men had found out that she lived with her mother 15 miles from San Francisco. If I could get by the girl, I could get by anybody as Jim Griffin. Early one morning, I rode out there, and as I came into the yard, an old woman greeted me, followed by a flock of chickens she'd been feeding. Hello there. Yes? Uh, Miss Baker, don't you know me? I know you. Uh, I've, uh, I've come to see Anna. She's not here. If it was up to me, she'd never be here to you, Griffin. Go on, I got work to do. Uh, when will she be back? I don't know. She took a horse to be shod. Would you mind if I wait? Jim Griffin, you ain't welcome here. You've brought nothing but sorrow to us. Now, why don't you just ride out of Anna's life? I am leaving, Mrs. Baker. I just wanted to say goodbye to Anna. Here she comes. Have your goodbye and be done with her. Jim! Hello, Anna. Jim, they told me you were sick. They wouldn't let me see you. They said you didn't know when... when I, I could see you. What's the matter? Why are you looking at me that way? You've, uh, you've changed, Jim. Yeah, well, prison does things to a man. Ask me, it ain't done enough to you. Mother, please. You should have killed him. Jim, are you, you out of the army now? Yeah, I'm out all right. For good, Anna. Wiley Carson was by day before yesterday. Wiley? Yes, he said I was to see you. They wouldn't let me in at the prison. He said I was to get something from you. Oh, what? You know, the piece of map. Have you got it? Yeah, I've got it. Wiley said maybe you'd give it to me. Now that you're out, you, you can meet him yourself. Did he say where? The Blue Nose Saloon in Johnson City. But you have to hurry. Yeah. Will you... Will you come back this way, Jim? You know I will, Anna. It's a promise? It's a promise. Good luck. Bye. Johnson City consisted of a main street, some 20-odd houses, and a blue-nosed saloon. There, I waited for Wiley Carson. I didn't know what he looked like, but I sat at a table where I could see anyone who entered, and they could see me. I waited a whole day, then most of another. How about another drink, mister? Ah, uh, well, yeah, fine, all right. Right away. I say, now, it ain't none of my business, but uh, are you waiting for somebody? You're right. It isn't any of your business. No offense, mister. Just that I, I don't remember seeing you before. I've been sitting here for two days now. You, you just passing through? Maybe, maybe not. And no offense now, you understand. I just thought I'd ask. Hey, bartender, how about a drink? Hey, coming right away, mister. Well, looky here. But ain't the delight of the army, Jim Griffin. Hello, Wiley. Bartender, you can bring my drink over here. Yes, sir. <laughs> This is a surprise. Didn't think they'd ever let you out. I was expecting Anna. I decided to come myself. You look different, Jim. That prison done things to you. You try it sometime. 
You here courtesy of the warden? Yeah. Discharge, huh? Dishonorable. Sounds like maybe they'd know we was to have a meeting. What are you trying to say, Wiley? I'm saying maybe you're working for the Army now. Maybe a couple of years in prison they got you there. Radio? You listen to me, Carson. I spent two years in a rotten, stinking hole, just dreaming of the time when we can get that money. <laughs> I was wrong, Jim. That prison made you mean it never. Yeah, well... You just remember that, Wiley. I remember, Jim. Uh, <clears throat> you, uh... You two friends ready for your drinks now? Just set them down. Yes, sir. You, uh... You bring your piece of the map? I've got it. Let's see it. I said I've got it. All right, all right. Don't get hard about it. Now, you've been outside. What are the plans now? Same as they were three years ago. All right. We meet Jake tomorrow at the cabin at Hard Rock. Just like we agreed, Jim. And we better get started. Drink up. Yeah. <sighs> we stuff so bad, we better take a couple of bottles with us. Yeah, well, suit yourself. Yeah, you ain't the old Jim I remember. In the old days, you'd have wanted to bring a bottle yourself. Hey, listen to me, Wiley. There's only one thing I want. I've been waiting three years for that money. Jim, we all been waiting. Serving time in a stinking two-by-four cell? I'll get me a bottle. We'll go right now, Jim. Hard Rock was 60 miles from Johnson City. The most direct route ran through a series of grassy plateaus that finally tapered out into high desert country. I knew that land like the back of my hand, and so I knew the easiest way to get there. Wiley and I didn't talk much. I preferred not to. Towards sundown that day, he began to try to steer me away from the best route, but I stuck to my guns. I was soon to find out the reason for his actions. You're getting off the trail, Jim. No, I'm not. This is the best way, and you know it. I think we'd ought to be heading more into them hills. No, this is the way. Sure you don't want a drink, Jim? Nope. And I'll have one. Ball boy. Yeah, this stuff's beginning to taste better the farther we get from town. Yeah. Now let's go. We're wasting time. Hey, wait a minute. Look over there. Where? I don't see nothing. No, over that way. And the horse, all saddled. He's just standing there. Oh, yeah. I see it. Come on. Come on. Ooh, ooh. And Wiley, there's somebody on the ground. So there is. Heat must have gotten them. Yeah, the heat. Yeah, this man's been shot. Wiley, give me a hand. Stand where you are, mister. What are you doing? Put that gun away. Who are you? What's the matter with you, Wiley? Throw down your gun. Why? Because that old man lying there, that's Jake, the one we're supposed to meet. You didn't recognize him. 
Now the gun, throw it down, easy like. Now, we're going to have ourselves a little talk. Then I'm going to get you a piece of the map and kill you. Just like I'd done to Jake. All right, that's far enough. Sit down right here. I'm going to find out who you really are. You sure had me fooled, mister. You're enough like Jim to be his twin. So you killed Jake to get his piece of the map, is that it? I'll ask the questions. You're tough, aren't you? Talk, mister. Who are you? That's my business. I'll make you talk. Now hand over that map. I haven't got it. I guess you think I'm fooling. I told you I haven't got it. It'd be awful easy for me to kill you, mister, and then take it. I wouldn't do you any good. I memorized it, threw it away. You kill me and you won't get anything. Let's go. Call it. You won't kill me, Wiley. No, I... No. No, I didn't think so. We... We gotta get that money. All right, then you show me the pieces of map you have and I can take us to it. I... Guess I'm gonna have to trust you, mister. <laughs> I guess you are at that, Wiley. Should be here, Wiley. Unless... Unless what? Yeah. Well, unless somebody got to it before we did. And keep digging. Hey. Yeah, there's something here. You sure? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. it. That's the box I was in. All right, give me a hand. Dig it out. No, I... Yeah, it's too heavy for me. Will you give me a hand? All right. But I'll be holding this gun on you. Don't try nothing. Why? Uh, I'll kill you. Maybe not. You give me that gun. Wiley. Wiley. Well, you asked for it. Turn around, mister. Huh? Huh? Anna. Drop the gun. Anna, why are you doing this? I've come for Billy's money. Billy? My brother, Billy. Open that box. You're making a mistake. Open it. All right. You didn't really think you could fool a man's woman, did you? No, I guess not. Now the money's here. All right. Hand me $5,000. Why $5,000? That's what they promised Billy. They got him to bury the money, draw the map. Then they put a bullet through his head. He was only 16. I didn't know that. Who are you? Doesn't matter. Here's your $5,000. Now, 
Where's Jim Griffin? He's dead. Dead? He died in prison. Jim. No. No. You loved him, didn't you? We were... We were going to be married. He was going to work hard. Make something of himself in the army. Then he... He heard about this payroll. Something happened to him. He had to have that money. Jim planned the whole thing, and it... It changed him. I... I guess... I guess it changed all of us. Uh-huh. Do you really want this money? No. Not now. I'll take the rifle, Anna. Miss Waugh. Mr. Paladin. How are you this morning? I find, Mr. Paladin. Did Army officer find you last night? Colonel Potter? Yes, he did. He took me out to dinner, bought me lots of brandy, and gave me $500. That's nice. Well, Miss Wong, what's the matter with you? Something Hey Boy said. Oh, well, for goodness sakes, what did he say? Hey Boy asked me... Why is wedding ring like eternity? Eternity? Eternity. Missy Wong says she not know. Then what did he say? Hey, boy, say, because it has no beginning and no end. Hey, boy, make a fun of getting married. <laughs> no. No, he's not, Miss Wong. He's too. He say that and laugh. Why, no, that's only a riddle. Riddle? Mm-hmm. What's your riddle, Mr. Parlina? Well, um... Lisa? Um, a riddle is... Well, that's when you ask a question and, uh, and, 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 uh, give a silly answer. No, no, hey, boy, wasn't making fun of marriage. You sure? You sure. Oh, good. Oh, I go now. Thank you, Mr. Parlina. <laughs> Miss Wong, you shouldn't take hey, boy, so seriously. You just remember that. Yes, I try to remember. Have gun. Will travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Tom Hanley. Featured in the cast were Virginia Christine, Vic Perrin, Tim Graham, and Ken Lynch. 
This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents Have Gun, Will Travel. That was Have Gun, Will Travel. That one was first heard on the 13th of November, 1960. The name of that episode was The Map. It was a good story. One of the problems with Have Gun, Will Travel, and I think we've talked about this before, is they just didn't have enough time to develop the stories. These shows only ran about 28 minutes long, and they incorporated two commercials inside. So, if you take away the opening uh, songs and credits and the closing songs and credits, and or music and credits, I should say, and then you, you take out the commercials, you had about 15 minutes to develop a story. And it just wasn't enough time to really flesh the stories out. But anyway, high production values on that one. A great sound. Have Gun, Will Travel. It's so important to make someone happy Make just one someone happy Make just one heart to heart you You sing to one Smile that cheers you One face that lights when it nears you One girl you're You're everything If you win it Comes and goes in a minute Where's the real stuff in life To cling to Love is the answer Someone to love is the answer Once you found her Build your world around her Make someone happy Make just one someone happy And you will be happy too
You know what that music means. That music means it is time for us to be transported back to the Old West. It's the 1870s and we're in Dodge City, Kansas, walking up Front Street, dusty, dirty Front Street, standing shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to run into Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. We have a good one tonight. This one was a little later in the run, in 1956. It was originally broadcast on December the 9th of that year. And this one is a um, pretty good character study, as uh, Gunsmoke was wont to present from time to time. And it's entitled Braggart's Boy. City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad, the story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Santa Fe, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, and on time, too. What's this dude we're meeting look like, anyway? Well, like any other 20-year-old, I guess, Chester. He's lived back in Philadelphia since he was five, since his ma and Cleve busted up. Well, I guess we'll recognize him all right. Oh, well, Matt. <laughs> Chester. Hello, Hello, Doc. What are you doing down here? Oh, just looking over the new arrivals, seeing how many unhealthy ones I can count on. <laughs> oh, gracious sake, will you look at that? Uh, look at what? That right there, look. Oh, oh, well, if that isn't a blossom of blooming youth. I think that's the boy we're supposed to meet. Him? That's old man Cleveland's son? Cleveland? 
Matt, you mean that swaggering old roughneck's got a son who dresses like that? Hey, you can't always tell by appearances, Doc. Uh, hey, Tom! He's sure giving the depot loafer something to choke up over, ain't he? <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, you are Tom Cleveland, aren't you? Yes, sir, I am. I'm Matt Dillon, I'm Marshal here in Dodge. Pleasure, Marshal Dillon. Uh, your dad couldn't get in today, and he asked me to meet you and get you started out to the ranch. That's uh, very kind of you, Marshal. This is all new to me. Huh? Well, you'll get used to it. I hope so, but right now everyone seems to be amused at something. <laughs> well, the uh, boys around here aren't much used to <laughs> such style, I guess. In Philadelphia, they told me this was a correct Western attire. Well, it's not quite. Uh, at any rate, your father left a saddle horse for you at the livery stable. Uh, saddle horse? Uh-huh. Uh, oh, uh, well, um, isn't there any means of uh, public conveyance? Well, I'm afraid we don't have any public conveyances in the Dodge, Tom. But I don't ride too well, except on a flat saddle. A flat saddle? <laughs> I never heard of such a thing. Oh, uh, this is Chester Proudfoot, uh, Tom Cleveland. How do you do, sir? How do you... My, your daddy's sure going to have himself a chore with you. <laughs> uh, Chester. You know, uh, it's strange having a father after all these years. What sort of a man is he, Marshal? Your dad? No, he's... I guess he's just an ordinary frontier cattleman. Well, I guess we'll get on all right. Yeah, well, I hope you will, Tom. Watch this, Matt. You ready, Tom? Anytime, Dad. He's fast, Matt. He's a lot faster than I was at his age. That's so. Gun in your holster, son, and eyes shut till the bottle's in there. All right. Draw! <laughs> Did you see it, Matt? Did you see it? Yeah, it's good shooting, Tom. Thank you, sir. Gets four out of five of them every time, right out there. Another month and I'll be hitting five out of five. I don't doubt it. Well, Cleve, uh, I better be getting on into town. Nice to see you again, Marshal. Same here, Tom. Me and my boy's been working like this, Matt, three, four hours a day for pretty near two months now. He's a born gun handler. Hey, is that all right? When he come here and I heard how they laughed at him, Matt, I decided I was going to make a man under that boy if it killed me. Now, the idea is good, Cleve, that there's more to it than gunslinging. You can make a good shot in two months, but it takes longer to turn a boy into a man. Yeah, maybe. Well, you'll be treated like one, same as I always been treated. I've stood up to the best of them, Matt. You know that. Uh-huh. Like that time in Tascosa when I outdrawed the Waco kid. Yeah, he was I know, at the hitcher. But yeah. times are changing. The law's here now, and the law asks questions. So, uh, just don't push him too fast, huh? Give him a chance to find something. Find what? I'm not real sure, Cleve, but I know one thing. He's not going to find it in a pistol holster. It's a nice night, Mr. Dillon. 
Cold and clear as a cake of ice. Yeah, it's going to be a little frosty before morning. I can remember nights like this back in Texas. With the air so gall down sharp, you could hear a church bell ten miles away. Uh Uh-huh. A lot of time you ever spent listening to church bells, Chester. Well, I could have heard them if I'd have been a mind to it. Uh-huh. Well, six, there's Miss Kitty across the street. Huh? She don't put a wrap on, she's going to catch her death. Mr. Cleveland! Cleve! Come on, Chester. That's the trouble, Kitty. Oh, Matt. Thank heaven, I'm trying to find Mr. Cleveland. Was something wrong? Yeah, he's got to get that boy of his out of the Long Branch. He brought him in earlier and then left him there, and Tom's been drinking too much. Yeah, that's Cleve's way of making a man out of him. Well, they better make him a quieter one or he won't live long enough to be a man. What's going on? The boy's talking too much. Cleve started it himself, bragging all over the place. You know how he is. Yeah, I know. Well, after he left, the boys took it up and kept prodding Tom until... Well, he's just asking for trouble, Matt. Somebody's got to get him out of there. Well, they're just having a little fun, Kitty. It won't come to anything. Matt, you don't know who the kid's up against. Brawley Star's in there. Brawley Star? Tom's already got him pretty riled, and Brawley's not one to take it long. (laughs) Matt? Stay here, Kitty. Side, please. Just let me through here, will you? Beat you to it this time, Matt. How bad is he, Doc? Just a bullet in the arm. Doesn't amount to much. How do you feel, Tom? Sick, Marshal. Oh, yeah. Let's get over there under the lamp, son. We'll jerk that bullet out and have you fixed up in no time at all. How'd it happen, boy? Who did it? I reckon I'm the guilty party, Marshal. Well, I didn't know you were in town, probably. I just got here this afternoon. Doesn't take you long, does it? Marshal Dillon, I, I... I hope you won't take any official action in this. It was a fair draw. You better go on over there and let Doc dig that bullet out, Tom. Come on, boy. It was just an argument, Marshal. He, he outdrew Doc's me. waiting for you. Yes, sir. You're picking kind of easy game, aren't you, Brawley? He picked. I didn't. Got business in Dodge, have you? Maybe... I ain't been here long enough to tell. You're just a half-baked kid, Brawley. Man's got a gun on his hip. He ain't a kid. You saw he was on the prod. You ought to have known enough to give him room. Most folks give me room, Marshal. And I didn't have to shoot him in the arm, you know. No, you didn't. Tom? Tom, you all right? It's nothing, Dad. Who done it, boy? Who done it? Who's a dirty rat shot you in the back? He's kind of mouthy, ain't he? It's a boy's father. Matt? Matt? Where's the sneak that caught my boy with his back turned? I shot him, mister, and his back wasn't turned. You're a filthy liar. All right, hold it, both of you. Now talk soft and keep your hands on the bar. You'll answer to me for this. And you won't be facing up to no half-growed kid. All right, mister. Let's say 11 o'clock in the morning. I'll wait for you at the livery stable. Good enough. Just ask for Brawley Star. Brawley Star? Good night, Marshal. See you in the morning, mister. What? What have I done, Matt? 
I'd say you got yourself in about as much trouble as you can handle, Cleve. Maybe more than you can handle. Yeah, I know, Chester. Uh, will you turn that stove damper down? Huh? It's getting kind of hot in here. You just gonna sit here? Yeah, I guess so. But Brawley Star will kill him. Chester, the one thing the law can't do is keep a fool from being a fool. Well, I know, but... Brawley's up there at the stable, leaning on the hitching rail, minding his own business. I got no reason to bother him. And if Cleve jumps him, it'll be self-defense, and I still got no reason. Yeah, but maybe Cleve won't grow first. He will. Probably he'll make sure of that. Oh, morning, Kitty. Oh, Miss Kitty? Matt, I seem to be making a habit of running to you about the Clevelands. Yeah, you and Chester both. What's wrong now? Well, it's the old man, Cleve. He's sitting over there in the Long Branch drinking. Been at it for two hours. Oh? I didn't even know he was in town yet. Matt, he acts sort of crazy. Will you come talk to him at least? Yeah, sure, Kitty. Morning, Cleve. What are you doing here? Mind if I sit down? All right, if you want to. Thanks. Well, looks like you've taken on a fair-sized load there. What's the difference? It's a bad state to be in for a man about to walk into a gun. I'm all right. Don't worry none about me. Brawley's fast, Cleve, as fast as they come. You've got a lot of nerve to give him even better odds by getting yourself drunk. It's my business, ain't it? Of course, a man that faced down the Waco kid doesn't have much to worry about, I guess, huh? No, wait. Except that Brawley's the man who killed the kid a few years later in El Paso. You know, you're a fool, Cleve. Why didn't you stay home this morning? I had to come. They laughed at me. Cleve, you've never even seen the Waco kid or any of the others you brag about. No. You've never been in a gunfight in your life. That ain't true. It is true, and you know it. As long as it stayed just harmless talk, it didn't matter much, but you started filling your boy full of it, trying to make him into something you never were. And last night you nearly got him killed by it. Oh, boy's got to know how to take care of himself. Taking care of himself's one thing, mouthing off till he gets a bullet through his arm's another. It could just as well have been his heart. Brawley let him off easy. And now you're going up there and get yourself killed. No, I ain't. I, I, I can't do it. I'm trying to drink myself up to it. And I can't. Matt, I'm a coward. Uh, forget it, Cleve. If a man runs into somebody who can put the Indian sign on him. What's the boss going to say? Uh, Kitty? Yeah, Matt? 
Take care of him, will you? Get him upstairs. It's something you can do a whole lot better than I can. Yeah, sure. Mr. Dillon. Yeah, Chester. You better come quick. Now, what is it? Tom's out there in the street. He's wearing a gun, and he's headed for the livery stable. All right, let's go. Kid must be out of his head. There he is. Tom. Tom Cleveland. Yes, sir. Hold up a minute, will you? Where are you going, Tom? You know where I'm going, Marshal. It's my fight. I started it. Dad didn't. I don't know who started it, but I know who's going to stop it. Take his gun, Chester. Now, wait. Shut up. Now, you stay here and don't move. Chester, if he tries to get away, put a bullet through his other arm. I'll be happy to. Exactly looking to see you this morning, Marshal. You ain't here to stand up for somebody else, are you? Just standing up for the law, Brawley. Well, to my knowing, there ain't no law been broke. Call it law and order, then. And a gunfight's not very orderly. Well, I sure don't aim to do no shooting unless somebody shoots at me first. Nobody's gone to, Brawley. Cleveland's not going to show. Oh, Kind of had a feeling he wouldn't. He looked a little crawly last night, and just a big wind and no rain, hmm? His boy feels different, though. I just stopped him up the street there. He was heading down here to face you. Well, I'll say one thing. The yearling ain't got much sense, but he's sure full of vinegar. He's a good kid, Brawley, in spite of what his dad's done to him. I wouldn't want anything to happen to him. You won't, as long as he stays shy of me. Now, there's one way to make sure of that. You got a horse there in the stable. Get it and ride. The law say that, Marshal. I said it, Brawley. You really run your town, don't you? All right, Marshal, I got no reason to stay. I'll ride. Good. So long, Brawley. Yeah, I'll be seeing you, Marshal. Have me worried stiff, Mr. Dillon. What happened, anyhow? Nothing much. Tom, Brawley's riding out of town. And you better get on back out to the ranch. I have to find my father first. He's in town somewhere. He'll be out later, Tom. He's drunk, isn't he? Well, I... It's all right, Marshal. I understand him rather well, I think. He's something of a braggart and a liar... And most likely a coward. Now, wait a minute, Oh, don't Tom. worry. I, I'll never let him find out I know. After all, he's my father. Well, then maybe you can help him grow up, huh? Maybe you can make a man out of him. I hope so, sir. <laughs> you know something, Tom? I think you will.
now, William Conrad. You know, on the frontier, if a girl was looking for a husband, they used to say, she's throwing a mighty wide loop. Well, next week, a girl catches a husband right enough, but not the one she wants. And that was the West. Gunsmoke. Produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. The story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Meston. The music was composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Sam Edwards, and John Daner. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Join us again next week for another story on Gunsmoke. that a good one? Braggart's Boy was the name of that episode. It was first broadcast on CBS on the 9th of December in 1956 on Gunsmoke. As always, we'll have another episode of Gunsmoke next time. Folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. Don't worry, though, children, my children. We will be back next week with the uh, archive show. And then the week after, we'll have another brand new show. And then we'll do it again the next week and the next week and the next week on Ad Infinitum. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I am so glad. You met me. Fairy tales can come true. It can happen to you If you're young at heart For it's hard you will find To be narrow of mind If you're young at heart You can go to extremes With impossible schemes You can laugh when your dreams Fall apart at the seams and life becomes exciting 
with each passing day And love is either in your heart or on its way Don't you know that it's worth every treasure on earth To be young at heart For as rich as you are, it's much better by far To be young at heart If you should survive to a hundred and five Look at all you derive Just by being alive Now here is the best part You have a head start If you are amongst the very young at heart And if you should survive to a hundred and five Look at all you derive just by being alive Now here is the best part You have a head start If you are amongst the very young At home Good night to all of you, and good night, Mrs. Calabash, wherever you are.